Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? A podcast where I watch every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date in the United States. And then I talk about it with you guys. Um, so, this episode today, we're doing episode two of season two, which is titled Some Assembly Required. Let's um let's read the description of this episode. How about that? That is task number one because I'm really bad at conveying plot, so I'm gonna start reading other people's descriptions of episodes. So here we go. Here's the plot description according to the Complete Slayer episode guide book. After the discovery of the robbed graves of three cheerleaders, suspicion falls on two of Willow's acquaintances from Science Club, Chris and the ghoulish Eric. In their lab, the boys only require a head to perfect a mate for Chris's formerly dead brother. They assembled the rest of the parts through those cheerleaders. Chris's formerly dead brother, Daryl. Daryl kidnaps Cordelia during a football game, but Buffy defeats him and Xander rescues Cordelia from the burning lab. So, on the surface, the plot of this episode is pretty bad because it is ripped off directly from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, obviously. You know, there's the the Frankensteinian monster that is isolated in his basement because his brother brought him back from the dead after he di died in, like, a rock climbing accident or something. And he's very disillusioned and he feels... Um, like, he can't leave the basement because, you know, he's frightful to look upon. And presumably, he has memories of his old life. And his old life was that he was a big, butch, masculine, football-playing dude. And all the girls loved him, um, including Cordelia. And you get little hints throughout the episode of Cordelia being into him. And I had previously assumed that they were in a relationship together but then at the end Daryl is saying something to her whenever they have her kidnapped he's saying something to her about how he he didn't appreciate her before he didn't notice her and he's going to rectify that now now he sees how beautiful she is and she will be his mate forever and so you know of course the whole premise is that obviously he needs to have someone as ugly as him to be with him which is the premise of Frankenstein pretty much exactly but I mean it's kind of different because the Frankenstein monster was not a huge dick he just wanted to feel loved and accepted you know um, so like I said on the surface this episode is incredibly cheesy and um, plot wise especially mostly just plot wise it is incredibly cheesy and because of that i thought that i was dreading this episode i always dread this episode because i always remember as soon as i see the title oh some assembly required fuck i hate that episode but almost every time i'm very pleasantly surprised because you forget that whenever you like remember the title of these episodes you for me anyway I'm like, I remember the plot, I remember the general premise, and I'm like, oh god, that's cheesy. But the actual content of the episode, like if I were to sit there and like log the time that is actually spent on the plot, it's not that much. The overall episode was still enjoyable. It was basically just like a Monster of the Week episode where, you know, stuff is going on, there's developments in the characterization of all the characters. Sorry, my chair's squeaky. You guys are just gonna have to deal with it because I don't feel like sitting on the floor. <laughs> deal with my chair squeaking, I guess. Um, but I, I thought that like the interactions between the main characters, between Giles and Buffy and Willow and Xander and Cordelia is much more of the mix these days, which is like the the big takeaway that my mom had from the episode is that she's happy that Cordelia is starting to be around more and so am I um and uh Jenny too so one thing that I thought was really insightful let's just skip ahead to the research section actually 
because I thought I was going to have to make a drinking game out of this episode because of how cheesy it is, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take a shot in honor of the fact that Buffy refers to Jenny as a techno-pagan. And I think I originally said at some point that we should definitely take a shot every time somebody calls Jenny or Jenny calls herself a techno-pagan. I think that there's only two episodes of that actually happens. So this is one of the only opportunities I'm going to get to do this. So let's get into it. I'm going to make you guys listen to me take a shot of whiskey right now. Because why not? I love it when people drink in podcasts. I think it's entertaining. So even though I'm by myself, whatever, I'll still do it. Here we go. Here's to being a techno pagan. Yikes. I don't have a chaser. Ooh, I don't need one because I'm hardcore. Anyway, um, the insightful thing that I read um, of my Buffy books only one I have two episode guides and then three like sort of academic Buffy books <clears throat> and the only one that really had anything to say about this episode was Sex and the Slayer which is by Lorna Jowett and it is um, a gender studies primer for the Buffy fan <clears throat> which is a pretty dense feminist book. I don't think I've ever read it like all together at once. I've like read parts of it here and there like I'm doing now. Like basically I just look in the index every week and look up the episodes. Um, but the thing that Sex and the Slayer said that I thought was kind of interesting, they were kind of outlining how their theory was, they wrote a good like three pages just about this episode and it was under in a chapter called Tough Guys and all about like masculinity and the displays of traditional masculinity taken on by certain characters in Buffy and the thing that they were <clears throat> talking about is Daryl's reaction to being a monster because it was sort of the opposite his the way that people reacted to him was the opposite of how they reacted to him in life. And in contrast with his brother, so Daryl is the older brother, the one that's, that is now the Frankenstein monster. And he is, you know, the football star that everybody loved. Every, every girl had a crush on him, blah, 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 blah. And his little brother, Chris, is basically the opposite. Like, it turns out he's kind of the smartest kid in the school. I think Willow called him that at one point and Willow's super, super smart. And, um, he was obviously science smart enough to bring him back from the dead. Um, and so even though Chris is like the smartest kid in the school, he's not seen as cool because he's not a typical, um, display of masculinity. He's the one that is, in the hierarchy of manliness he is the little brother and he's not as popular because his traits aren't masculine so i thought that was kind of an interesting way to look at it um i didn't think about it like that like honestly like when you hear the mm minute later like honestly like me trying to figure out what the message of this particular episode was i could not figure it out but the thing the quote from Sex and the Slayer that I thought, oh, it's not in Sex and the Slayer. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Um, and another thing that they said was um, this particular narrative. So they're harvesting parts of women from different women. I don't know why that had to be, because I guess they're trying to construct the perfect woman, but they're also trying to make her hideous enough that she won't want to go out. Um, so then the quote was, this is a narrative in which women are reduced to spare parts. So it's, you know, this whole episode is kind of about the, con the evil of it is about the objectification of the human body because of the female body, because, you know, they're cutting up girls to assemble a totally new girl. And it turns out that the head wasn't fresh enough. So 
from those three cheerleaders that died in a car accident or whatever. So they had to harvest a head. And that's where Chris was like holding his hands up like, no, I don't want to kill somebody. Don't make me kill somebody. He's not inherently bad. It's just his friend, Eric, who's keeps humming my girl and shit. And he's the one that's the most misogynistic of the bunch. You know, he's the one that like Xander said that his porn collection was scary, even, even to him, you know, or whatever. Um, so he's the one that is really the most evil. And in the end, Daryl can sort of be reasoned with, like he was about to, he was holding a desk over Buffy's head and he was about to smash it on her head, which uh, I'll get into that later. <laughs> but Chris is his little brother was able to say, Hey, Daryl, like, no, he just like distracted him at the right exact moment and made him like, look at his little brother and remember that he doesn't need to do this. And so he stops and because of his pain and anguish of being this, you know, inhuman monster and like the, the lab is on fire at this point, um, because drama. So he just like goes and like cuddles up to his assembled, partially assembled girl and dies in the fire, I guess is how, that's how the episode ends essentially. Is Buffy's like sort of unconscious and he's holding a desk over her head about to kill her. And the only thing that saves her is Chris distracting Daryl for a second. Like, I guess we'll get into it now. I thought that was stupid the way they dealt with that. Like, Buffy was essentially bested by some stupid undead high school football player. Like, if he hadn't been distracted, she would have been killed right there. Like, they were, like, making her too weak in the beginning of the show, I feel like. They were not letting you know how much of a badass she truly is. Or maybe they were trying to show her get, her becoming a badass. I guess that kind of makes sense if you think of it that way. Because she had just been called as a slayer like two years ago at this point. So I guess it makes sense that she's still getting her footing as a slayer and whatever, whatever. So that's Sex and the Slayer. Bite Me, which is a an episode guidebook that has some pretty insightful things to say every once in a while. It's by Nikki Strafford. And the, the quote that really struck me as I was reading it, and this is not something that I took away from it at all. Like I didn't see it, but now that I read it, I see it. So what she was saying in her analysis of the episode was that, um, the episode is essentially about relationships. And I hadn't even noticed that, that that's what it is. Like, um, all of the little plots between the characters were, for one, let's go ahead and get into it. Buffy and Angel. Let's just go ahead and talk about the relationships since we're talking about that. Buffy and Angel, like from the very beginning of the episode, you see two different, they're kind of the bookends of the episode. There's like a conversation with them in the cemetery at the very beginning and a conversation with them in a cemetery at the very end. And in the beginning, they're fighting, which I find odd because they're kind of fighting in a very familiar way with each other as if is if they've had this fight many times, which I call bullshit because here's what's happened between Buffy and Angel so far. Season one, they, he shows up as sort of this weird, mysterious figure that like tells her about evil portents and then disappears and doesn't ever fucking help her like at all. In the beginning, he didn't help her at all, except like telling her that something was coming and then he would just disappear in the shadows. And then, you know, like she's very intrigued by him and eventually they kiss. And at the moment that they kiss, that's when he like gets real excited and he turns into vamp face. And that's when she notices that he's a vampire and she screams and she's real upset. Since she found out he was a vampire, she's just sort of like, they encounter each other in the workplace every once in a while. He tells her about something evil coming. He has stepped in a few times at this point to fight by her side but he's still sort of being very tentative. He's still sort of disappearing in the shadows a lot. And she is being real broody because she's really drawn to him, but he's a vampire and she knows that's wrong when she finds out he has a soul, of course. So it's kind of, you know, it's okay to care about him, but she still knows it's wrong. They both know it's wrong. They're trying to kind of sort of avoid each other. And in the first episode of season two, so, okay, 
that's that. That's where they are at the end of season one. And she goes away to see her dad for the summer, the entire summer. So she hasn't even seen him until she comes back. And in the first episode of season two, she's real broody. And, you know, the episode when she was bad that we reviewed last week, she was a total bitch to everyone. And she was just in a bad place. And she did some things to try to make him jealous, which of course they're talking about in this episode, which I think it's natural for them to be talking about it in this episode. But they're fighting in a very familiar way. And even Angel's character even goes so far as to say, whenever we fight, you always bring up the vampire thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, when do they fucking fight? Like, when have they had conversations about us ever? They kissed. She found out he was a vampire. She was real broody. He's helped her fight a few times. Like, they haven't had any conversations about us. And I feel like they took... They needed to get this plot line going, so I understand. But it felt unnatural to me how quickly they just went into, like, this fighting situation. As if they've even been talking about anything up until this point. Because they weren't. So I didn't like that. I, th I thought that felt unnatural. But that is what happened in this episode. By the end of it, um, at the end of the episode, they're holding hands. Like, because... In the beginning, they were fighting, and she was trying to get him to admit that he was jealous because of that sexy dance she did with Xander in the first episode. And she just kept harping on it throughout the episode, like, talking to Willow about it and stuff. Like, he won't admit that he's jealous, but I totally know he was jealous, and blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, he finally admits that he was jealous, and then they hold hands. Like, what the fuck? So, I, I don't know. I think even that situation could have been dealt with. Her saying, you know, her asking him if he was jealous and him being cagey about it and then eventually admitting it. I think they could have even dealt with that situation, but just the way that they did it was a little too dramatic and a little too big of a step between the emotions between the two of them and what's gone on between the two of them last episode versus this episode. Let me just try to shut up about that now and move on. The other relationship that you deal with in this episode is the relationship between Giles and Miss Calendar. So at the very beginning, like the first scene that you see Giles in, I think even he, uh, Buffy and Xander walk into the library and Giles, before he notices that they're there, they overhear him like rehearsing a speech of asking Jenny out and he's just being real British being super bookish and British librarian and I think that's a little funny too just as a little side note like Giles like later you find out that his like teenage years since I haven't mentioned it yet this is a spoiler full podcast like it is full of spoilers do not listen to this podcast if you don't want spoilers for Buffy and you're like watching along with me Okay, spoiler warning over. So later you find out that when Giles was a kid, or like a teenager, he was into some real witchy shit. You know, he was kind of a dark witch kind of dude, and he did a lot of weird spells, and he kind of messed around with demonic energies, and you know, he was called Ripper. His name is Rupert Giles. So at one point he was called Ripper, and he's had a dark past, essentially. I don't know, like, if the... I think the Joss probably knew this was happening, the creator of Buffy, but maybe he didn't convey it well enough to the, um, the writer and director of this particular episode, which are not Joss Whedon, because, you know, the fact that they're really portraying him in this episode as a bumbling librarian in the way that he's asking Jenny out and just, I mean, it's cute. It's super cute, but he's not this like, you know, bashful, cute librarian, old dude. Like, I mean, I, I guess that is part of his persona and I just need to accept it, but, um, he's really much more of a badass than that. But anyway, um, Buffy actually comes in and when she, when they like witness him doing this whole rehearsed thing of asking, <laughs> Jenny out. Um, 
she sort of gives him some dating advice, which was actually really good dating advice. She basically just said, um, you know, just keep it casual. Be like, I have a thing, you have a thing, maybe we could have a thing, you want to go for Mexican, like, just be cool. <laughs> and um, it was just cute that she gave him some dating advice. And just to follow that little storyline through, um, at one point during the episode, um, just the relationship between Jaws and Jenny, he tries to ask her out. He just sort of, but he's being really weird and he's stammering and he's not really asking her what he wants to ask her just, and she has to get to class. So she finally just says, Hey, whatever you want to talk to me about, um, I, I gotta get to class right now, but like, why don't we just talk about it later? Let's go to the game. We can have Mexican beforehand, <laughs> which is exactly what Buffy suggested that he asked to go to Mexican. And so she's real casual and she asked him, asks him out. And as they're, and Buffy, so later they realize that they need to like, right before his date is supposed to start, they're all kind of putting clues together and realizing who they need to talk to. And like Buffy's going to go to Daryl and Chris's house and talk to his mother and like, you know, investigate and shit. And he's just sort of like, but, but, but I have a date. And in instances where Buffy has had a date, Giles will lecture her and be like, but it is your duty as the Slayer to blah, 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 blah. But Buffy, without missing a beat, she's like, okay, well, um, you go ahead and go and we will meet you at the game. Like, she just totally like, oh yeah, you've got that date. Let's work around this and let you still have your date. Like, without even missing a beat, she like changes the plan so that they can work with the fact that Giles wants to also have a social life in addition to being a watcher. And I just thought that was so classy of Buffy to go from like giving him great dating advice to just like on a dime, just like switching their plan around so that he can still have the date. So I just thought that was really cool of Buffy, which means I've got to do something. Now that I'm thinking about that, I got to change my answer to one of my, one of my, uh, important signifiers of this episode. Okay. 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 So let's go through my notes. Okay. So relationships. So this, this episode is essentially about relationships. So I went over the Buffy Angel relationship. I went over, oh, and, um, fun fact, according to the Bite Me episode guide, this episode is the first time you hear the Buffy Angel theme in the score. I did not notice that because I don't really... The score in Buffy is not... I think it's effective, but it's not so good that I like think to myself, oh, I, I, I hear that melody. That must be the Buffy Angel melody. Like It's not conscious for me, but um, that's just a nice little fact. So we've talked about the Buffy Angel relationship. We've talked about the Giles calendar relationship. Um, they do sort of point out, um, at one point Xander says something, they're having a conversation, Xander, Willow, and Buffy about like, why would someone try to assemble girls when there's all these perfectly pre-made ones laying around, says Xander, which sounds kind of sexist right there. But, um, and then Xander says quite insightfully, like, you don't want what's right in front of you. And in the shot, of course, it's just Xander and Willow and Willow's kind of looking at him like, yeah, I know that because she's got a huge crush on Xander. <laughs> and you know, so that was Xander's little insightful moment. Like you don't want what's right in front of you. You want what's unattainable, which he's saying so many different things at once right there. Like he wants Buffy and she's unattainable. Willow wants Xander and he's unattainable to her. Um, this dude wants an assembled girl because she's unattainable. Like Buffy wants Angel, which at this point you think is an unattainable situation. It's obviously not a long-term situation, but he's not exactly unattainable either. I don't think, but anyway, so, um, so they're kind of pointing that out in different points kind of the other relationship is the question of relationships for Willow and Xander. And, um, so there's that little moment. And then at the very end of the episode, Xander is the one that actually saves Cordelia because Buffy is preoccupied fighting Daryl at the end. And, um, Cordelia is like, you know, tied to a 
whatever, a slab thing, a scientific body slab thing, I don't know, whatever, one of those little trays, she's tied to it, and um, Daryl, oh, and um, Xander, like, in the middle of the fire and everything, so Xander goes in there, and he sort of pushes her out and, like, rides the slab thing out of the fire, through the fire, out of the fire, to get her out, because he couldn't get her untied in time. And so, at the very end, Cordelia comes up and she's like, thank you for saving my life. And she's actually being sincere. Like, if there's ever anything I can do, and Willow and Xander at that moment, before she came up and thanked him for saving her life, were having a conversation about, like, why do we never get dates? Blah, blah, blah. And Xander, like, interrupts Cordelia, like, as she's thanking him for saving her life. And says, um, do you mind? We're kind of talking here. And then, like, Cordelia scoffs and, like, sort of walks off. And, um, he's like, oh, where were we? Oh, yeah, why do, why do we never get dates? I don't know, why do you think that is? <laughs> like, duh. Um, so that was just a fun little moment that Xander and Willow are obviously love each other very much, and they're kind of, like, preoccupied with the closeness of their friendship, even though Xander doesn't want to take it any further, because he really does want the unattainable. And as we'll see throughout the series, he wants kind of a demon. <laughs> he wants someone that's pretty dark. Like, that's why he's attracted to Buffy. And later he'll be with Anya, former vengeance demon. Um, he'll lose his virginity to Faith, the bad slayer. Like, him being with Cordelia, like, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> lots of conversations to have about that at some other time, because I've already been talking for 26 minutes, an episode I thought I had nothing to say about. So this episode, I like the, that um, the Bite Me book pointed out that it was kind of about relationships, because I didn't think about that. And the quote that um, Nikki Stafford said after, after like kind of saying that this episode is sort of about relationships, she said, so essentially, some assembly is required in all these relationships which makes sense. Like, Buffy and Angel got some shit to work out before they try to start a relationship. Um, it is now, the, this is the first time you see that Cordelia is kind of into Xander in some way. And there's some definite assembly required before they can get to a point where they could be together. Because he is always, like, acting like he totally hates her. Like, this constant quipping back and forth of them, like being terrible to each other, um, which he does in this episode too. Like he's just so awful to her, but in fairness, she can take it and she'll bounce it right back. Like it doesn't really hurt her whenever he like slings insult insults at her. I don't think it ever hurts her. Um, and like, obviously Giles and Jenny have a lot to go through in their relationship. Like, some assembly is required with all of these relationships. So I thought that was a cool little insight. Um, let's go through my notes here, see what I've said and what I haven't said. Um, there's a point in the very beginning of the episode where Buffy is, when Buffy and Angel are fighting in the cemetery, where she, like, tries to, like, go after him after he's trying to walk away from her and being, like, stodgy and stupid because they're in the middle of a fight. She, like, falls into an open grave. And then there's, you know, a shot of her, like, having to crawl out of it and her kind of having a conversation with Angel. Like, it's weird to think of you having to go through that, crawling out of your grave. And he's like, yeah, it's weird to go through. And I thought that was interesting because, you know, obviously, at the very beginning of season six, Buffy has to crawl out of her own goddamn grave after everybody rises, raises her from the dead. So, um... I thought that was an interesting little bit of probably accidental foreshadowing. Like, did they really know that they were going to do that to Buffy? You know, five and a half years later, four and a half years later? Probably not. They probably didn't know that yet. Um, there's a point where Xander calls, um, is, refers to Jenny, to Giles, as reasonably dolesome. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Um... Let's see. Oh, there's a point at the very beginning where whenever they're first realizing that, like, this stuff is happening, people are being assembled, girls are being assembled, <laughs> graves are being robbed, I guess is what they know at this point. Um, Giles is, like, visibly excited about it. He's like, ooh, 
grave robbing? That's new. Da, 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 da. And he says something about it. I don't remember. Something. I think he actually said something about it being exciting. And Buffy's like, I know you meant to say gross and disturbing. <laughs> um, one little moment of Cordelia love. Um, and I guess this is kind of relevant to the relationship thing too. Cordelia is really kind of, this is the first time you really see her inserting herself into the group. Like she sort of wanders in the library at some point under the weird disguise of asking Willow for help with a science experiment, with a science fair project. And her science fair project is tomato, fruit or vegetable. And Willow's like, um, I don't need to help you. It's a fruit. And she just sort of sticks around and hey what you guys doing blah 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 and she's she's this is kind of the first time that she has kind of sought them out and she obviously enjoys being around them and she it's been established that unlike most of the students and staff at Sunnydale High Cordelia remembers when this weird shit happens and she doesn't block it like most people do she understands that weird shit's going on. She knows that Buffy's the person to go to if any weird shit is going on. She knows that Buffy will save her life if she needs to. And she reluctantly likes them and wants to be around them. And and you will see her become more and more part of the group from now on. So it's, it's exciting to see that starting to happen. The other great thing to notice about Cordelia in this episode is that she obviously she becomes the target like they're she's the one that they want to kill to use her head to make the girlfriend for Daryl and you know so her life is in danger several different points during this episode at one point Angel kind of has to save her in I guess he doesn't really save her no well he sort of helps her out in the parking lot when something crazy happens to her like she gets thrown into a dumpster like I don't even remember exactly how that happened anyway so Angel sort of helps her at one point and then there's another point where she's getting ready to go out during a football game to cheer and she gets attacked by um, Chris and Eric because they're trying to capture her to take back to you know cut off her head and um, Buffy shows up and saves her and then she's like comforting her and helping her up and shit and Cordelia hears that the fight song has started in the background she's like oh my god I gotta go <laughs> and Buffy's like well but if it, but Cordelia ain't got time for her life to be in danger okay she's gotta go cheer she's the apex of the pyramid okay you guys and I kind of love this about Cordelia. I kind of love that, like, even though her life's in danger, it's like, dude, I'm not going to stop doing my thing because people want to hurt me. It's like, she's not a victim. She refuses to be a victim. Like in the bite me episode guide, it kind of pointed out all the ways in which they thought Cordelia was sort of ditzy and like a typical horror scream queen in this episode. Like, the fact that she knew that people were grave robbing and she went ahead and walked through a dark park parking lot by herself and she knew that they might be targeting her but she and got attacked and Buffy saved her but then she still decided to go out and cheer and go on with her life and and apparently the the author Nikki Strafford thought that that was stupid of Cordelia but I think that's just awesome I think that's a good coping mechanism if, like people are targeting you the reaction shouldn't be to stop living your life I mean that's a victim blaming right there like if you have the courage to just be ballsy and live your life anyway like I just think that's cool Cordelia is cool okay so there's that um, and there's this moment where Cordelia is when she's walking out to the parking lot after um, cheer practice or whatever when she gets attacked the first time she is saying to her fellow cheerleaders like practice tonight okay because if you don't no one's going to be led by our cheers <laughs> I just thought that was cute um, let's see Oh, um, just like a weird little observation, like 
the mom of Daryl, like there's no evidence of a dad, but the mom of Daryl is just, she's very depressed because her son died and she's just like hanging out in her house, smoking, watching reruns of Daryl being a football star and blah, blah, blah. And she doesn't notice that there's all this fucking chicanery of reanimating dead corpses and shit in her basement. Like, she never leaves the house. She's always there. She doesn't notice the crazy shit is going on in her basement. Call bullshit on that. Anyway. Um, take no pagan, take a shot. We did that. Oh, at one point, um, they're, when they realize that what they need now is a head, um, and they wonder if the body of the girl has been assembled yet, Buffy says, what if that poor girl is walking around? I mean, what could she be thinking? And I thought that was just a sweet little moment, and it's really kind of an underrated, undervalued trait of Buffy, that she's very empathetic. Like, she always has been. She's got mad empathy. And, you know, the fact that most horror shows, horror movies would not go there, would not go to what if this girl is walking around? What could she be thinking? Like, usually the thought process would be, oh, this horrible monster is being assembled. Like, she's going to be so scary. Like, it's more an emphasis on, like, how everyone will react to the terrible monster. But that, she was putting herself in the shoes of the girl. Like, what if this girl does get reanimated? Like, how is she going to feel? How is she going to see the world? And I just thought that was... A surprising little, I mean, it's just this one little line. Like, what if she's walking around? What could she be thinking? It's just this one little throwaway line, but I thought it was really insightful. Um, let's see. Oh, I already talked about that. I already talked about that and that. And that. Um, okay, so I guess I can kind of wrap it up at this point. So, um... Let's get into the mm minute, and then I will come back and tell you my final thoughts and my, um, my ratings and all that fun stuff. Hello, it's time for the mm minute. 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 You never finish the word. <laughs> so I'm here with my mom. Hi. And my Michael. And Fairly Tess. He's got pearly toes. I've got pearly toes. I, pearly I know what toes. you're thinking. I got pearly toes. Christmas lights up like cake. Um, so we just watched some Assembly Required, episode two of season two of Buffy. What did we think? Mm. Mm. Kind of, kind of, we're all boring. We're all boring. Story was old hat. The the um, interaction seemed forced, like the the the, the uh, Eric, the really creepy guy, the guy that they were like trying to make you think, oh, this guy's so creepy. The friend, really the, the friend guy. of Daryl's I mean, little brother. To, like, and he like cuts out the outline of someone from a, a black and white picture. Hey, like, they are low budget. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a creepy thing, but with him, and he was singing, forced. he was it singing "My forced. Girl." That was pretty creepy. Yeah, that, that was, was really awful. forced. That was awful. I didn't buy creepy. Okay, I, I did. I was creeped out by him. I knew those weasley little dudes in and, high school. Hmm. What did you think? I thought the episode was pretty cheesy, mm -hmm. but I did enjoy Cordelia, and. A lot of the clothing was better in this one. Yeah, the last one was pretty bad. I enjoyed Buffy's outfits, and I really liked the one that Willow wore that reminded me of the dress that you have still from sixth grade. I really think it was fifth grade. It was totally middle school. Okay. Are you going to brag about that enough? I have, like, a dress that I've had since middle school, and I totally still fit into that. Well, I mean, I wear it all the time. I really probably shouldn't wear it anymore because, like, this whole like above the belly button situation, and I'm like hulking out of it. But I still wear it anyway. That's okay. It's that stretchy, cool polyester material. Yeah. Polyester the... is forever. I mean, people don't talk no about, about that. No doubt about that. 
<laughs> Even though you might not want it to be. <laughs> It'll be here longer than humanity. <laughs> and Buffy's, what'd you call them? Old man pants? The old man pants, yeah. yeah those are really good. They're real good. <clears throat> Look like they had ruffles on them. And Buffy, Buffy had a good outfit, good makeup. Just mm-hmm. Everything was working. She was, yeah. she, was she was rocking the matte mauve lipstick. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It's real good. Her hair was good. It was teased. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, extra added bonus, she wasn't wearing a bra for most of the episodes. Really? That is, that is a bonus. I wondered about that. <laughs> is she wearing a bra or not? That must have that must have been why she was off her game. That must have been why that zombie dude was able to best her. In See that was the biggest because the biggest flaw of the whole episode yeah. was that some We're random undead football dude was about to smash her in the face with a desk. Like not why say, was he gonna bet? Not her? to say that that would have, you know, been Done the end of the in. fight for. She would have been fine. But she was just like she just when he threw her on the ground, she just like looked up at him and she didn't even like do anything. She was just. Said, totally blank. She said, "Damn, I don't have a bra on." <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would bra. roll away dramatically, but damn, no bra. The girls are loose. <laughs> <laughs> you can't flop your tits. <laughs> well, I mean, if you got those boobs, man, just don't wear a bra. Just rock it for as long as you can. But uh, what were some of my other points? Um, Giles was pretty good. Trying yeah. to ask out. Jenny. Yeah. I mean, like, what? I just don't know how they can justify introducing, you know, Ripper later. You know, like, he has this whole dark past, but, like, in in this episode, like, he's a bumbling idiot. Like, he's never even asked a girl out when he used to be this, like, bad boy. But, yeah. It's fine. Like, they, d- they didn't know about Ripper yet. They didn't know well, yeah, that Giles is a smoldering temptress. <laughs> Right now he's just bumbling librarian, but he's cute either way. He's adorbs. Jenny obviously thinks so. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, just the whole story of you know the Frankenstein dude, you know, create me a a woman and she will love me. Yeah, it's really lame. Lame, lame. So what are your five by five ratings? Likeability. Likeability, um, well, you know, I like Cordelia, I like Giles, Xander seemed a little forced. He's making a few good jokes. Well, they Mainly at Cordelia's expense. Yeah, but now that we know what's going to happen between the two. That he really loves her. Makes it more exciting. Yeah. That he really loves her. So, point one five. Point one five. Yeah, that's my likability. That's really, really low. <laughs> really I low. really, really didn't like. Are you this sure it's episode. not one point five? No, it's point point one five. You're making yeah. math hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is your uh, conveyance of the message? What's the message? I don't, exactly. I don't know. Don't try to put people together. Do not dig up dead girls. Don't, okay, don't it's raise your Don't raise your dead football star brother. And uh, don't try to make him a lady so he won't have to live alone. Well, at least he didn't want to take a life. So that was a message. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the metaphor was in this situation. There wasn't one, so it gets a zero. Okay. Well, that makes the math easier then. Yeah. Because that point, just means point one five times zero is it's a just zero. zero. And then your ratings? Uh, it was. Uh... You really don't remember the ratings that you just gave it when we recorded this? Oh, 10 I do. Ago? I do, but I've had time <laughs> to think. <laughs> And I'm rethinking, and you know, likability might be a two. Likability is a two. Yeah. Are you still giving message a one? Yeah, because. Okay. So your score is a two, (laughs) and mom's is a zero. It really wasn't that bad of an episode. It was pretty horrible. I thought it was okay. It was definitely not the worst episode. I think that the stuff between Buffy and Angel was way too fast because they it was went too from fast, yeah. she has been 
avoiding him ever since they kissed last season. And then last week she was a total bitch to him. And now all of a sudden they're holding hands yeah, in the like, cemetery. What, what the hell? And they fighting don't know what to do with like it. It's old like berries. Were, it's like they were testing it out, waiting for the audience reaction to see. Maybe they should have eased into it more. That was way too soon. But they've got some serious plot points with them to get through this season. So I guess they had to speed it up. Yeah. Because you know, spoiler alert: by the end of this season, she's gonna have to kill him. Wow. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I said spoiler alert. The show's 20 years old. <laughs> okay, so anyone have any final thoughts? Mm-hmm. No. no, I'm good. We're excited about Cordelia. Yep. The main takeaway. Yeah. She's Happy. definitely integrating into the group more of her own accord. Happy about that. Just sort of wandering in. Hey guys, what you doing? Oh, digging up dead people? All right, yeah. see you later. Bye. <laughs> yeah, she's totally in on it now. Okay, so this has been your... Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, you just heard the minute with my Michael and my mom. So um, now that you've heard their ratings and stuff, and I have had time to consult my books and watch the episode two or three times... I think this time I only watched it twice because I just didn't really have time to watch it a third time, but I generally I like to aim for three times. But um, let's see. So let's get into my ratings and stuff. Just a little exciting moment. Guess what? Next week, the episode is School Hard. And if you know anything about Buffy, you know that it is the introduction of two very important characters, Spike and Drusilla. So next week we get to meet Spike and Drusilla. I'm so exciting. I was thinking about it earlier and it's like, this is kind of the first time that like a big event that, you know, you're looking forward to that I'm going to get to talk about something like that. Like so far, you know, it's just been like monster of the week type stuff. Like, you know, the angel episode was kind of exciting. The prophecy girl episode was kind of exciting, big stuff. But this is like the first time that it's like, ooh new character I'm really excited about like meeting Spike and Drusilla is going to be so exciting and I can't wait um (laughs) uh, we'll get to that okay wait let's do my ratings and then I'll do like a little mini what's up with Mixtress situation so the object of affection in this episode every episode of the podcast I like to pick the episode I like to pick an object from the episode of Buffy that I'm reviewing (laughs) that I would like to pluck out of the episode and make my own. In this particular epi- episode, I think the thing that I would like to keep for myself are Buffy's pants. So this segues directly into the featured outfit of the episode. It's this outfit that Buffy was wearing. It was like um, sort of a mix between a spring green and an olive green, like spaghetti strap top. And it was sort of probably polyester. And she was wearing it with these pants that were damn awesome. Michael called them grandpa pants. So I think he mentions it in the in the minute that you just heard. But they're just like stretchy blue and green, like olive green and like dark teal blue. Like weird checker pattern situation really accentuates her ass. And the added bonus of the pants and top combo is that she's not wearing a bra with the top and for some reason I just enjoy it that they do that every once in a while with Buffy's character because I think that's kind of subversive I don't think they were really like I don't know like girls weren't going around braless in the late 90s and it wasn't like a situation where it was like overly sexy or anything like that She just didn't need to wear a bra because her boobs are perfect and it looked good with that outfit, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like they were trying to objectify her, I don't think. Um, And I don't think necessarily that many people would notice that she wasn't wearing a bra except me because apparently I'm looking, I don't know, whatever. Um, So she looked good and I love that outfit. So that's the best outfit and the pants are the object of the episode that I would like to have for myself. The um, MVP of the episode. That was hard for me to decide. At first I wrote Xander 
because Xander was just being real quippy and kind of funny and he was he had some random insights during this episode and he did save Cordelia's life so I almost wanted to say Xander but then I thought about how Cordelia like she's kind of inserting herself in the group a little bit more she is a badass and doesn't give a shit if people are targeting her because she's still gonna live her goddamn life so that's pretty cool but I think ultimately Buffy is the MVP in this episode because she gave Giles dating advice that he followed through with and he ended up with a date with Jenny and she also helped make sure that he got to go on that date even though there was other shit going on and she was super empathetic about the dead girl that was going to be assembled and she kicked ass as usual and from the very beginning she was like we're not going to give this guy the benefit of the doubt if he's fucking digging up girls and sewing them together he doesn't get the benefit of any doubt which i like that she was just she put her foot down on that and people were like well maybe he's not it's like no we need to investigate this shit we need to do it now we need to not wait around she was being very proactive in this episode empathetic proactive all of it i thought she was just obsessing a little much about whether or not angel was jealous that she danced with xander but she did admit to him that she only did it to make him crazy. <laughs> um, so whatever. So I think Buffy gets it this episode. Of the M MVP is Buffy. Um, let's see what else. Quote. It was hard to pick a quote because, I mean, there were cute little lines here and there, but just on their own, they didn't sound that great. Um, so the quote that I picked was just, I mean, I'm not super married to it, but it's, it's just the one that I picked. So the one that I picked was whenever Buffy was talking to Giles about, you know, like asking Jenny out. He said, just say, hey, I got a thing. You have a thing. Maybe we can have a thing. And I just thought that was a cute little moment. Anyway. So, okay. Then we got my five by five ratings. So this one was a hard episode to rate. Um, because overall enjoyability, it was not bad. You know, it was a fun episode. It pushed along the storylines of the characters. Um, it was enjoyable. It was fine. So I give it a 3.5 for enjoyability. For conveyance of the message, I don't think it did a good job at that because I couldn't figure it out. And I was looking. I was looking for the metaphor in this episode. And even though you know, some of my academic books understood what the message was, you know, that it was about relationships and the objectification of women, reducing them to spare parts and blah, blah, blah. Like, I didn't really see that. I didn't really get that. I think the writer and director combo, which let's just call them out right now. I'll tell you who they are. The writer's Ty King and the director was Bruce, Bruce Seth Green for this particular episode. So I think they didn't do a great job at conveying whatever it was that Joss wanted to say with this particular story arc. Um, so for that, I gave it a one, which means this episode overall gets a 3.5, which I mean, it's that makes it sound like it's a bad episode, but it's really not. Um, really not that bad. It's not one you need to skip. I mean, it's not super serious. It's not the best, but it's not bad. It really wasn't that bad. Really didn't need a drinking game to get through it. Um, so not bad. And I, okay. What are my closing thoughts? Do I have any closing thoughts? Have I said all the things that I wanted to say? Oh, I was going to do a what's up with Mixtress. Buffy related. What's up with Mixtress? Because we've been talking a long time tonight and I don't want to take up too much of your time. So I did a really nerdy Buffy thing this week and I'm kind of proud of it and I'm happy that I did it. So what I did was, what had happened was during the radio show this week, which if you want to tune in, I have a radio show every week. It's on Fridays from 7 to 11 Central Standard Time on MixtressRay.com and it's... Um, yeah, you just have to tune in at the right time and press play the little player on the right. It's, it's good times. You can request shit if you want. Anyway, during the radio show last week, I was um, playing around with my lipsticks because I had just done 
a bunch of swatches of my lipstick, and I realized that two of the lipsticks that I have are just like two other of the lipsticks that I have. So I essentially had a, an exact duplicate of two of my lipsticks in two different brands. <laughs> so if you want to know, Lime Crimes Blood Moon, which is like 20 fucking dollars, a perfect dupe for it is Wet n Wild's Video Vixen, and it's $5. Just, I need to pass along that information because it's a good color, but oh God, the formula on that shit, like that shit gets crackly and it doesn't last very long, but I think it's just because it's a super dark red. So, you know, apparently that's a thing. You just have to deal with it. If you're going to wear a super dark red, you're going to have to deal with the fact that you're reapplying it all goddamn day and it stains your lips and it's just a pain in the ass, whatever. The other dupe that I found, Lime Crimes Gigi, also a $20 lipstick you buy at full price. A perfect dupe for it, it's the exact same fucking color, you guys, is NYX's Soft Spoken. There you go. A lipstick that's like six or seven dollars versus 20 of the Lime Crime. So I just happened to realize as I'm swatching my arm, oh my god, these colors are exactly the same. Um, so what I did, the how this relates to Buffy, what I did since I was nerding out about my lipstick and making swatches and like going over my lipstick and like assessing which of my lipsticks need to go in the I don't really care about this, it's just sort of here drawer. <laughs> I have like a backups and music I don't really, or makeup I don't really like drawer. So I threw a couple of my lipsticks in there after doing this assessment the other day. But I just suddenly thought, I think I should rename all of my lipsticks after Buffy characters. I took it very seriously. I made a chart, I changed it around a lot until I got the right combinations. <laughs> of course I'm working with the lipsticks that I have, so not every single one of these is the perfect color that I would choose off the top of my head for each of these characters, but I worked with what I got. <laughs> so that is my Buffy nerding situation that I did this week. Um, I'm really happy with it. I know them all well enough. Like I obsessed over it for hours <laughs> and I know exactly which one of my lipsticks is which character at this point. Just, you know, for your own personal enjoyment. Uh, right now I'm wearing Giles. <laughs> and for me, the Giles lipstick is NYX's Brooklyn Thorn because it's this, um, sort of grayish brown. Like, I feel like if tweed were a color, it might be Brooklyn Thorn. Because <laughs> it looks a lot like, you know, one of his like muted brownish gray tones that he would have in his tweed in the early days. <laughs> so that's Giles's lipstick color, and that's what I'm wearing right now. Um, let's see what else has happened this week. Um, not a whole lot. I had a really busy week. I worked a lot. Um, I'm kind of overstimulated, to be honest. Um, what do you guys think? Like, what is your input? Like, if I do these little what's up with Mixtress segments where I kind of tell you about my week and shit like that, do you think that those make more sense at the beginning of the episode or the end? Just a personal preference. Like, if you don't have a preference between those two things, you don't have to let me know. But if you do have a preference, let me know. Ray at gmail. Mixtress radio at Gmail. Sorry. I don't have Mixtress Ray at Gmail. Um, and that's M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S -S, and then radio spelled the normal way at Gmail. So that's how you can get a hold of me if you want to, um, let's see, if you want to uh, see me on any social medias, I'm Mixtress Ray. If you want to check out my YouTube channel, it's mostly an ASMR YouTube channel. That is on, that is under Mixtress Ray as well as the channel name. Um, yeah. And links to all my stuff and my blog is all on Mixtress Ray. That's M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E dot -E com. So, um, until next week where we get to meet Spike and Drusilla. Just so you know, Spike's lipstick is black. Like his leather jacket. Drusilla's lipstick is blood red, of course. <laughs> um, so, 
This is like every time I think of each of these characters, I'm gonna think about their lipstick color. <laughs> and I made like, I actually like wrote their names like really pretty, and then I cut out little pieces of paper and I taped them to each lipstick. So, you know, I can reach for Faith. There she is. One of my very favorite lipsticks of all time is Revlon's Black Cherry. And that now is just going to be referred to in my mind as Faith. I don't know. I just thought that was a really fun thing. And I kind of want to do that with everything. Not necessarily Buffy characters, but like I sort of want to rename my entire nail polish collection after like a certain thing or something. And <laughs> um, anyway, it's a lot of fun. So I will see you guys next week where we will get to talk about episode three of season two, which is School Hard. And if you'd like to watch along with me and follow along with this project, um, the air date, the original air date of School Hard was September 29th, 1997. So if you'd like to watch along with me, I will be watching that episode that day at some point during the day. So you can watch with me if you want and then join me Sunday night-ish when I will put up the podcast. See you next week, guys. Bye.